Morning, church family. Morning. Beautiful day out, isn't it? It's just gorgeous out there. And a little cooler, but I, I'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. You get a lot of things done when it's a little cooler. It was a little hot this past week trying to get some things done. Hey, if you're here for the very first time, we welcome you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're just happy and blessed that you're able to join us here in person or online and just uh, be able to come together freely. Amen. Good to see some f familiar faces that uh, coming back. I'm fr I guess from out of uh, from the south, the snowbirds are all back. I was excited to see everyone's back in college and seeing someone in the eyes of college. So you know, it's just great to have you guys come back and join us here to, in time. Don't forget, service continues afterwards with fellowship with the Fathers Bakers. So uh, I saw some of the goodies. I didn't touch any of them. Didn't touch any of them prior, but boy, sitting on the table, it was tempting. That's for sure. Hey, um, uh, there was one other thought that came in. If you want a mountaintop experience, you need to get a hold of Jim so you can go climb the mountain with Jim. So make sure you sign up so the travels and, and sharing of the uh, uh, carpooling and things like that. So you want to make sure you coordinate that quickly. But um, we've also had just the spirit moving in a mighty way uh, through the last few weeks and, and men's Bible study of people getting saved. And so uh, we're right now looking to probably set up a baptism here in the next couple of weeks uh, for all those who just gotten saved over the last few weeks. So if you got just recently got saved and and I didn't know maybe you didn't get you got saved and you're just starting to come here, please let us know and, and sign up and at least want us to know myself or or Steve so that we can plan for uh, that baptism. So we'll make a com confirming probably uh, Sunday afternoon. So after service we'll go right out there and we'll do a baptismal for all those who uh, want to confess their new relationship with christ amen it's going to be a beautiful day i can already see it but we'll have our annual in august uh, annual picnic and baptism as well but don't wait don't wait it's it, it would be good to come up here soon well that said Hey, we've got a lot to cover. We're not finishing up Jude. Uh, I, I, there's just, it was not going to happen. And so for the next couple of two and a half hours or so, uh, if you're new, uh, hang on. Uh, hopefully your bladder is empty. And uh, we'll go right into uh, Jude. And we're going to take verses 12 through 19. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be able to gather here in your name. And we know it's only by your grace and by your mercy and by your love that you would just draw us to you. By your spirit, may you draw us to you. May we have ears to hear, hearts to receive what you have for your people, for your, your sons and your daughters. And I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that is wavering in their, their faith in you, their belief in you, believing who you are, Lord Jesus, is the Savior of the world, I pray through your word today you'll speak to them individually. You'll speak to the heart so clearly of your love for them and your desire to have a relationship with them. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open up to Jude. If you notice, there's only one chapter. There's 25 verses. We've taken uh, bits by bit, bite by bite here. We took verses 1 through 4 originally. Then we did 5 through 11. And we'll pick up and do 12 through 19 this morning. If you'd like, I'm going to read, and you can follow along, and then we will go through uh, the verses, verse by verse. These, who are these? These are the certain men that we talked about last week, 
unbelievers, unbelievers who are creeping into the church looking to destroy the church. These false teachers, these apostates, these are these that he spoke. What does he what does Jude describe him as? Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, who's writing this by the by the Holy Spirit giving him the words, he calls them out as spots. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the, the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them all. Their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These, these are the grumblers, the complainers, walking according to their own lusts or desires in the Greek. Not, not sexual lusts we talk about, but desire, any desire of themselves. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, but you, believers, brothers and sisters, but you and me, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our, our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. Now we take a look at the scripture here today. And we pick up on a topic we left off last time regarding these. These, these certain men, these certain women. Who creep into the church unnoticed. We saw in verse 4. They just kind of slide in. They just, oh, when did you start coming to church? Oh, who are you? I, have we, I've never met. You kind of slide in. You kind of slide out. You, do, does anyone get to, have gotten to know you yet? I mean, hi, my name is. But there's just, they just kind of creeped in. They kind of somehow got in and started blending. A chameleon, kind of chameleon kind of moment. They sound like a Christian. They look like a Christian. Act like a Christian. There's no smell like a Christian, I don't think. But. but if they had a smell, they'd be rotten, according to the scripture. But these certain men and women who were like, as we saw in the verses previously, like Cain, a rebellious person, a rebellion against the cross, against the substitutionary atonement. No, Jesus is not the only way to get saved and go to heaven. These people would creep into the trying to spread all this false doctrine into the church. You have to be working for Jesus if you're going to go to church or go to heaven. 
You got to get, you had to eat a certain way. You have to dress a certain way. You have to get circumcised. You had to do this. You got to do this if you really want the assurity of going to heaven. No, no. Jesus substituted your life for his life on that cross. And it was his death, not your death, that gives you life if you believe. If, if, do you believe? Is that an amen? Anyone? It's a simple gospel. Not always easy because you have to die of self. These certain men were not dying of self. Instead, they were just tools, vessels used by the demonic, the darkness, to come in and try to destroy God's people. This is, these are not confused people. They might be some confused. But they actually had a purpose. Their purpose was to come in and spread the cancer of, of, of false teaching within the church. A little here, a little there, one person here, one person there, and hopefully eventually it will then spread like cancer. Jude's warning us. As much as he wants to talk about our salvation, about our future in heaven, oh, this is going to be great, there's no more tears, no more, no more pain, no more suffering, no more pestilence, no more COVID, no more this, no more that, no more It's going to be so great when we get to, uh, get to heaven. No, no. These people didn't want that. They're always coming in. Creeping into the church, is it? Just like Cain, rebellious against the true substitutory atonement of Jesus Christ. And now there's a Baal, Balaam, who ran greedily, coming into the church, ran greedily, causing issues within the church, bringing division within the body of Christ. Can you imagine that people would creep in trying to, they were more concerned about their wallet and trying to make money off the people than actually feeding the people? Can you imagine that? That happens. People are always creeping into the church. I wrote a book. I did this. I did that. You got to follow me. I know the way. I've got enlightenment from Christ, from 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 God, from from an angel, or from whatever. This. No, that was Mexican food on a Friday night, and you're having gas today, and that's what it was your enlightenment. But it wasn't of God. Everything has to be grounded in the word of God. Test all things based on the word of God. And we have the complete word of God. We don't have to look for some new answers or some new book or some new, some new guru out there teaching that they think they know everything and, and you need to follow them. They're like a Balaam. They're always greedy looking for what, how they're going to make money off God's people so they can fleece them. And then there's Korah. The deceptive type, the causing issues within, bringing division within the body. One was the wants the wallet causing division, and then you got the chorus who were looking for division. If I just plan a little kind of false thing here, they're going to believe me. I'll make it sound convincing so it can cause division against the leadership or against this person, against this person. And so little doubts, little little doubt here, little down here, like little droppings as they walk around. Because they're looking to divide and conquer. Not unity. God calls us to unity as brothers and sisters, not division. 
All of these were endangered to God's people, seeking to draw them away from the simplicity of God's grace. To rest in the finished work of Jesus. And they're always creeping in to say, you have to do more. You have to do more. You have to give more. You have to do this more. And you have to do this way. Here we see in verse 12 that Jude calls them spots. They're like a spill. They're like a stain that goes unnoticed. They join in the fellowship and the share the, these, this meal feast. As you see, there's spots. And they come in during the time of the love feast. Remember, the love feasts are when, especially on the Lord's Day, typically when they were doing is when they would bring food and they would come together and they'd have this meal together and they would creep in during that period of time now keep in mind everyone was equal in the church even the slaves who were saved who came to church were equal to the masters who were also at the church they were all having a meal together and the slaves this might have been the only time they actually had a decent meal and they were just in love with one another and sharing back in those days when you had food and you shared there was an intimacy in sharing a meal together they didn't take it for granted this was an incredible moment because they didn't know if they were going to have another meal but they could do it with their brothers and sisters in love. And there was no division. There was, but these people would want to come in and they would just get in for the food. They'd come for the food. They'd do this. And they would just drop their little hints of things to try to cause division and problems within the body. If it's not false teaching, it was just to just cause division among the people. Little snippets, just little tiny little comments. Spoiling the love feast. No, no. These people didn't want love among the people. They wanted to cause division among the people. While they feast with you without fear. Without fear. They had no fear of what, what they were doing. They knew exactly what they were doing. They didn't fear the fact that God sees all things where they're doing this. They didn't fear what you guys were going to do. They're, they're going to creep in and do that. But notice this. What were they doing? It says right here. Serving. And the word here means shepherding only themselves. Instead of coming in and saying, I want to help you, I want to encourage you, and I want to, be able, I want to help lead you into Christ and encourage you to Christ and, and whatever role and, 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 and gift or gifts potentially they think they have, but they tell you they have it because that's what they want to do and they're going to do it. And they're demanding they get to do it within the body and they kind of make themselves sound really good because they've got all these flattering words, flattering words that they have. But we'll see this. But they're coming in not to serve the people. They do in the church what they want to do because they want to serve themselves. Why are they serving the children of misery? Because they want to serve themselves. Makes them feel good. Not to serve other people. See, we come to church, and that's the beauty of this, this fellowship. We come into unity because we literally come here. I cannot look across and go, I don't have, I, we don't have the division. We don't have the issues. Why? Because people come and truly want to serve God and serve other people. They're not looking to serve themselves. They're not doing it. I'm not coming here to make the money. I don't need to come here and serve and feed the people because I'm looking to have a, some job and to survive and I don't do that for that reason. I come here to serve you, to feed you, to love you, to give to you. 
I don't look for anything from you. And neither the leadership and no one else who serves in any capacities. We freely come to serve you. We're not looking for anything, for any gain. There's no, there's no politics going on to get your name on there in some position. It's such a beautiful fellowship here. We've been to other fellowships that are not quite like that. You do know that, right? If you're really special and you really give and you really serve, you get a special little name plaque so everyone knows that you're special. Absolutely not here. Are we not brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we not love the same Lord? Do we not want to serve God how he is leading us to do it in an orderly and fashion, a decent fashion way in the body of Christ? And outside of this building? Because remember, the body is you and me. Not this building. Thank God for the building. Thank God for your provision. We could be outside. Try that 20-degree weather in a tent. I don't think so. Negative 20 is not a good time to be in a tent for some of you guys in the military. Yeah, you're right, Pastor. You're right. It's not a good time. <laughs> I'm with you on that. But thank God his provision here. Thank God he puts on your heart to give to the work of God so that we can have a building to gather here. And so we take a look at this, but they're shepherding themselves. They're only thinking about themselves. And he gives this an amazing six vivid pictures of what they're like. They're these, these people who are like, they're like clouds without water. They're carried about by the winds. You're like, oh, we're going to have rain. It's so dry out right now. Look at the clouds are coming, but there's nothing in it. They're just a cloud with no water. And when you're parched and you're dry spiritually, the last thing you want to do is have this false hope. Oh, here he comes. It's like a cloud. But he has nothing to give you. Why? Because he's not spirit-led. There's no spirit moving through that man. A cloud that gives nothing. You walk out and you're just as dry as you were when you walked in sitting at there in the chairs. You want the Spirit of God to speak to you. Amen? You want to hear the truth. If you want cotton candy, we'll serve it afterwards. We'll ask the Father's bakers to give you some. But I ain't going to give you cotton candy here. I'll try to make it as sweet as I can. But they're empty. They're not producing. And this is a goppy feast. They're gathering together. They're excited. They're having a meal together. And they, they do this now for personal gain. They're not looking there, walk in and say, give me the food. I just want the food and, and get out of my way. And I'm going to be first to be served. No, no. They want to make sure everyone was taken care of. That everyone was fed. The, the Corinthian church was having the same problem. We see this written in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. They were dealing with the same issue. People coming in and trying to take what people were providing. People were here freely giving. Here's the poor people coming in and whatever they had, they had very little to give, but they brought it for the sharing among the brothers and sisters. But here you get these people who were creeping in, these, these spots who were coming in, and they were just taking. They weren't looking to give. They were just, what can I go to the church and get from the church versus coming, and what can I give to the church body? 
We're to become to give to the church body. Why? Because we love our Lord. He knows He provided all for us. How can we give back to the people of God to show love? No, no. These people come in and say, well, can I go to each church to see what I can get out of it? That's not a right heart. If you're a child of God and you're going around just looking to see what you can get out of the church. I pray that the Lord is going to change your heart on that and say, Lord, how can I serve you and how can I love my brothers and sisters in the Lord when we gather together? That's where I need you to get there. I need you to grow up. If you're a, if you're a child of God, I need you to grow up. I need you to mature in that area. Very, very important for your spiritual growth. Now, it's always these spoils that is available to people that causes these certain people, these, these, these men to come in and actually spoil the fellowship. Because they will come to church with a selfish, bless me attitude. Many who would never eat selfishly at a church meal, still come to church concerning serving only themselves. And it's these spots in the Greek here which are almost referred to as hidden rocks. It's like in the maritime. You have these ships and the ships always were concerned. The captains were always concerned with the ships coming in because you didn't know where the hidden rocks were. And if the hidden rocks were not noted before you come in, they would just go right into the hull of that ship and just rip it open and cause it to sink. And so this word here can be, it's like these hidden rocks, these slippery uh, spills where you can slip and fall and hurt yourselves or to crash into these hidden rocks and rip something open and cause, a, uh, cause problems. And that's what happens when you're serving themselves. When you come to serve yourself, it literally means you're shepherding yourself. What can I get out and shepherd and take care of me? And these false teachers, these apostasies, participating with the church body, outwardly looking just fine. We're inwardly denying the Lord. Inwardly not wanting to follow the Lord and be submissive and obedient to the word of God. Outwardly they sound good, but inwardly they're not willing to obey the word of God. And this is the most dangerous blasphemy possible. Instead of adding to the, 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 the sanctity, the, the beautifulness of the occasion, they came in to distract people from the Lord. Just like Judas at the last meal, the Passover. Jesus celebrated with his disciples. But Judas was not there with the right heart. He was there. Oh, he participated and wanted the meal. He loved the meal. But his heart wasn't right. He didn't want Jesus. Matter of fact, he turning Jesus into the, the enemy. For what? Money. Greed. What he can gain from him. And when he realized that Jesus was not going to be the king, now 
to be in charge, to, to overcome the Roman government. And he was going to be the main finance guy. And he's going to be the CFO. If I don't get to be on the board, if I don't get to teach, if I don't get to do this, well, I'm going to cause problems in the whole place. Selfish desires shepherding themselves. These unbelievers had taken or acted a shepherding role even, but did not function as shepherds. Instead of feeding the flock and protecting the flock like a shepherd is supposed to, all they can think about is how they can gain from the, the sheep. How unthinkable for a shepherd not to feed and protect his sheep. That's it. My majority of a responsibility as a pastor is to feed and protect the sheep. Not make money, not make a name for themselves. The leadership spot was false here. It was deceptive, it was hardened, it was selfish. Like clouds, they had nothing there of value to actually gain from it. It's like a late autumn trees without fruit. That's when the Fruit is supposed to bear on those trees. And you're looking at the tree and there is absolutely no fruit coming from that. Life of that tree. Trees should have fruit. But these certain men did not have or bear fruit when they should have. Instead of giving the fruit, they were looking to take everybody else's fruit. To gain from it. And why didn't they produce? Because it's very clear here. Jude says because they're dead trees. They're not alive. They did not bear fruit. That means they're dead. And they're fruitless trees, which means they're going to be uprooted if they don't produce the, the fruit. That means they're dead twice, Jude says. And as leaders, these apostasies were spiritually dead. Notice, these apostate leaders indicated two things why they were dead. They did not bear spiritual fruit in others in the ministry. There's no fruit from their ministry. And two, they were without spiritual roots themselves. There was no grounding. That brings about certainty of judgment upon these men. It's a guarantee. Not a question. It's a guarantee. They're also raging waves of, of the sea. For a modern man, the sea is often a thing of beauty. You'll just love the sea. You can't be there. But not in those times. In those times, it was very dangerous. They didn't have the sophistications of being on the water. It was very dangerous to them. It could be easily ship, shipwrecks. The waves could come up and take over and, and break up a ship easy. So in biblical culture, the sea was an unmanageable terror. How do we know that? Because we go back to the scripture, we see it in Isaiah. Isaiah 57.20 expresses that. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. It talks about, and this is what Jude is getting across here. These certain men were busy and active in the church. Go, 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 raging like raging waves of the sea coming and going. But notice that it also brought this foamy, dirty, nasty scum up onto the shoreline. 
The fruit of these men were like the foam, that scum of the seashore. Lots of motion. But inconsistent, unpredictable, meaningless, wasted energy coming from them. Because there was still no producing. But they're also, he says, they're like wandering stars. Look at the wandering stars. Jude likens the false teachers like meteors. Not stars as in stable and predictable or planets. We're talking about meteors or falling stars streaking through the sea or the, through the sky. Suddenly appear and vanish into the darkness. False teachers do that all the time. They come in, they come in really quick and zoom. They're all, what happened to, what happened to Billy Bob? I don't know. Well, last time I had a conversation with him, he was kind of talking strangely about some things. Yeah. Came and he went. Probably went on to the next church, the next community, to try to peddle his little wares and his little blogs and his little go-to-my-website moments and, and give-your-money-to-me kind of moment. And because he came here and he couldn't find anyone to peddle his little things because everyone was calling him out, I'm like, that's not biblical. Well, you just said, that's not biblical. No, no, let me tell you. No, that's not. Show me in the scripture. When you do that, people flee quickly. They quickly flee. You know why? Because they know they're grounded in the word of God. They know that they cannot get the falseness across to other people. They just know this is not the place to stay. Amen? I trust all of you doing that. If someone comes and tries to peddle a little something, you just say, show me in the scripture. Can you show me in the scripture? I really want to know in the scripture where you get that based upon. That is a beautiful thing because all of a sudden, A, you can have an influence on them versus them having an influence on you because they need to know the word and the truth. What's the, what's the, what's the result here? The unpredictable Meteors flashing through, they're, they're useless, they're untrustworthy, they're just going to crash into something and damage something. But he said, Jude says, their ultimate destination is a blackness, in the, in the Greek there means gloom, gloom of darkness, the blackness of the darkness forever. There's certainty of judgment upon these men. It describes their destiny. If they do not change their heart and give their life to Christ, that is their destiny, Jude says. Unless they repent, they would end up in hell. There's no question about it. I don't know about you, but blackness of darkness forever does not sound good. The gloom of darkness forever does not sound good. And anyone who would desire, I can't wait. I can't wait to go to that gloom of darkness. It's where all my buddies are. We're going to have a big party. You're being deceived in those kinds of thoughts. It's pain and suffering for eternity. I pray that the Lord is touching your heart if you're not saved, that today's the day of salvation. goes on in verse 14. Now Enoch, he's going to give it a good example 
Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Let me pause there for a minute because there's a lot packaged right in verse 14. Here Jude is quoting from a man named Enoch. Let me state that right up front. Who is described in only three places in the Bible. Here, in verse 14 of Jude. Genesis chapter 5 originally, and we're going to turn to there. And also mentioned in Hebrews 11. Enoch, according to the scripture, is Seth's family line. He's the seventh from Adam. He's a believer. The Seth line were believers. They believed in the offering of the blood sacrifice versus different from Cain. The reason the word of God emphasizes the seventh from Adam because Cain line also had an Enoch in that family tree. That's not the Enoch that Jude is referring to, but the seventh line, which is Seth. Are you with me? There is also a book out there that is not part of the canon, it's not part of the scripture, but it's an, a historical book called the Ancient Book of Enoch. It's an apocrypha book, but is not determined as being inspired by the Holy Spirit to be part of the canon or part of the scripture or part of what we refer to as the Bible today of the 66 books. But it's out there available for you to read. You don't have to, but what, here's what the main point is. Enoch said something that was from God. He repeated it here in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit giving us these words. There's no different than like the Apostle Paul, who also quoted from non-biblical sources at at least three different occasions. In Acts 17, 28, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, and Titus 1, 12, if you're interested in one of those three occasions. But in those three occasions, this wasn't to proclaim a new truth from a non-biblical source. He's just putting the support of saying, look it, they're even quoting God's word or God's truth. You want to see more details? Let's turn to, for you to reading pleasure, turn to Genesis chapter 5. We're going to read real quick 5 verses 21 this is where we first see this man named Enoch mentioned, Genesis 5, 21. If you look here, we see in verse 21, Enoch lived for 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God, key words, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. All, so all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him, notice that, and Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. We're going to pause right there. Two things on this man you need to highlight. He was alive when Adam was alive. Now imagine knowing great, 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 great grandfather 
Adam. Spending time with him. Enoch, at 65, begot Methuselah. Important uh, person as well. But notice here, this is the first place we see in the scripture of a man walking with God. Is Enoch. Adam walked with God, but then he sinned, him and Eve sinned, and they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. The next person naming who was actually walking with God is this, this guy named Enoch. He sits there and then pours into the Methuselah. Again, great, 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 great uh, grandfather Enoch to Methuselah, who brings about Noah in the world. Methuselah is the last one to bring out before Noah comes on the scene. And then we see once again another man walking with God and his name was Noah. And God, not only does he reveal to Methuselah what will take place in the flood. And Noah is the one who actually God uses and his family to build the ark. Amazing. When you study just those alone. Then what we find... That just knowing who this is, that now Jude is referring to this man, Enoch. We also see in Hebrews 11.5, another mention of him. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So in Genesis chapter 5, right? Genesis chapter 5, where it mentions right there that uh, do, 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 walked with God. Right there in verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not, he was not, what do you mean he was not? He was gone. For God took him. The first sign of a, the rapture is right here where God took a man not through death, but took from life to life. The first sign of rapture is right here when God took Enoch and he didn't die. We see in Hebrews, again, chapter 11, verse 5, what does it say? He did not see death and was not found. That means the people were looking, where did Enoch go? Hello, where did Enoch go? Did you see Enoch? I, don't, I haven't seen Enoch. What's going on with Enoch? He was there and now he's gone. Because God took him. Enoch's life is a picture of the church. The believers being raptured out of here. And there's going to be a, a husband looking for his wife one day and will not find her because she's been raptured. There's going to be a wife looking for a husband, and the husband's gone because he was raptured. There are going to be parents looking for ch little children, and they're going to be raptured and gone. There's going to be siblings that are going to be gone, and the other siblings are st still here. There's going to be neighbors who are going to be looking for you, and you just gone? Left, left the house open, unlocked? Car running? What? They never did that before. What happened to them? Just like Enoch, they're going to be gone. 
you and I are going to be gone. That's an amen. Because I hope you're looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ to take us home. Because that's what the scripture tells us. So, Are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come back and take the bride, you and I, out of here in a twinkling of an eye and to be in his presence? Let's t- we'll keep going. But behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. The the imperative here is the fact that these 10,000 is innumerable saints. And that could mean you and I coming back, yes, and the angels coming back, yes, because in the scripture tells us once we are taken out of here, we're coming back to this earth with our Lord, with fine white linen and riding on a horse. And we're going to be coming back to this earth with as saints as the bride of Christ and along with angels to rule and reign with him on this earth. And we see in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is of our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You and I are going to appear with him in glory, the scripture says. 1 Thessalonians 3, 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. We're coming back with him. Keep that in mind. Revelation 19, 14. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's you and I. One more. Revelation 19.8, the bride, speaking of the bride, and to her, you and I, the bride, it was granted to be arrayed with fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. That's you and I. This is the good news. Here's the good news. Catch this. I, some of you are clicking. I know you're tracking with me. This is the good news. If we're coming back with our Lord Jesus Christ from heaven, what does that mean? That means he's coming for us and taking us out of here first. Because you can't come back until he comes and takes us first. Are you with me? Are you with me? He is coming back and in a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be snatched out of here. We're going to dwell with him. He says he's going to build houses for us. He has a place for us. And then he will come back. We will come back to here to reign and rule with him. That is great news for you and I. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is coming back? He is. And through all this, Jude is saying he's going to convict all who are ungodly. Look at this scripture. Look at all the alls. Look at all the ungodly here within verse 15. Execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly. Among them, all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way. And of all the, uh, all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against, who? Against Jesus. He says, I'll deal with this. This is certainty of judgment upon them. Don't worry. I've got this covered for those who are unrepentant and turning against me. They're turning against me. They may be turning against you, but they're really ultimately turning against Jesus. You're the ambassador that represents him. 
Breathe in and out, my brothers and sisters. It's only a matter of time Jesus will deal with that. Just keep focus on Jesus. Don't get distracted because he's coming back soon for you and I. The execute of judgment on all he says here, Jude says, many people take the certainty of judgment of God lightly. Oh, the judgment. Judgment, you tell me there's going to be judgment from God? People like blow it off like it's no big deal. Like their sin is no big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to God. Because you can't take sin, you can't take impurities into heaven. You've got to be cleansed. And the only way you can be cleansed is by the blood of the Lamb. And that's his Jesus Christ who you put your, your trust, your belief in is Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. If you have not, then yes, judgment's coming for you. And I pray today you would change your mind and put your trust in him because it is certainty of judgment. The most important question in the world is, will God judge me? Am I accountable to him? If we are truly accountable to God, we are fools if we do not prepare to face the certainty of judgment. We'd be fools. It's like someone arrested for a crime with a date to appear in front of the court. You know the date, you're going to be there, you're going to face the judge. And you go, but, it, but you had no preparation, you're not prepared, you're just going to walk in cold, and like it's no big deal, maybe I'll talk my way out of it kind of a deal. You stand there in front of the judge, and you think you're just going to somehow fast talk the judge? Shift blame? It was everyone else, judge. It wasn't me. That, would per that person would be a fool to show up in front of the judge, not prepared. We don't need to be this so foolish. Instead, take advantage of the court-appointed advocate, Jesus Christ. He is our advocate who represents us, and we will be set free. Amen? 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, we studied it. In verses 16 through 18, we see the methods of these certain people. Now he, Jude turns from Enoch, turns from, and goes back to the certain men. He says, what are they like? They creep in, they eat all your food, and they are just selfishly there to do it. But look at the definitions of how you can tell someone who's a certain man, some of these who are, are false teachers. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts or desires. I want to do what I want to do within that church. And their mouth, great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. They sound so nice and so good. But you, he says, Jude says, but you, beloved, remember, remember this, don't forget this, because the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice those key words there. I mean, it's beautiful when you study verse by verse and you break these verses down. What they're saying here. And how they, the apostles, they, the apostles, told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. That you've been warned by the apostles. Notice that Jude didn't say, by me or we, because he wasn't an apostle. He said, the apostles, the word of God, we've been warned, we have the word. 
But notice that the apostles spoke this, but our Lord, now Jude includes this, our Lord in Jesus Christ, because it is his, his Lord. But he was an apostle. He says to the people, believers, remember the word. Know the word of God. Don't be deceived. Don't let the people come in and, and take you away from the word of God here. Why? Because how are they going to do it? They're going to be grumbling all the time. They're grumblers. Always picking. Critical spirited. Always looking. Oh, I wouldn't have done it that way. Oh, I, that's not, I, I wouldn't have said it that way. Oh, I can't believe they painted the walls that color. It goes on and on and on because their hearts are not right. They're looking to always think and boost themselves up, themselves and what they want versus what God would want. And they're complainers. They're not just complaining, but they, that word there, that complaining, means to, to, sow in by shifting blame to everybody else but themselves. If you're a complainer, you will always shift blame onto someone else. That's a very bad trait. It should not be part of a, a as a believer, a grumbler and a complainer. And don't be walking to weigh what you want to do. I, I don't desire that, so I'm not going to do it. Well, it's the word of God. Well, I, I'm going to I'm going to live however I want to live. Are you not have a Lord? <laughs> Jesus decides those things for our lives. What do you mean you're not going to do whatever the word of God says? But they're flout. They, they, they love, they have the words. They know exactly what to do to get the advantage, to get their way. These certain men knew how to use smooth, flattering words to get advantage over people. They would say good or bad to get an advantage, whatever it took. But Jude says, no, no, no. Beloved, we don't do those things. We follow Jesus. We follow the word of God. We don't go to the, work, the cares of this world or the things of this world or the flesh and, and personal desires. We die to ourselves for the sake of other people. That's how we live. The apostles warned us. Over and over in the scriptures, in the word, warns us of these things would happen, even more so as today approaches. Amen? First, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says it all. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. People in the church will no longer want to hear the word of God. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Oh, just tell me a story, Pastor. Make me laugh and have fun. Have some illustrations going on. Entertain me with the music and entertain me with your, your stories of your life and how... Give me anything. Just don't spend time so much in the Word of God. This will be... A, this is what it's going to look like in end times before the Lord comes back and snatches us out of here. Oh, I pray. I'm sure none of you are because you're here listening to the word of God. 
You're not looking for a 15-minute vignette to make you feel warm and fuzzy so then you can go home and continue to live in your dark world that you've created. No conviction because I fed you cotton candy. You just have an upset stomach after a while. The only, the only thing I can tell you is I can lovingly tell you, lovingly tell you, the only <clears throat> in your gut you should have is what we call conviction. And that's what the Spirit of God does to all of us. <clears throat> a little tweak in the stomach to say, you remember, that's not the way you think. That's not, that's not how we think. That's not how we talk. That's not how we behave. It's not in line. It's not pleasing to God. And we want those mm, in the gut of our stomach because it keeps us accountable to who? Not me. Oh, no, no, no. You're not accountable to me. You're accountable to God. That's where I want you to keep your eyes on. Look here in verse 19. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit. This is how we will end today. Essentially, these men were not spiritual. They were cardinal, insensitive to the Holy Spirit. They were not sensitive. They have grieved the Spirit of God so much in their lives so that they would not feel that gut check, that conviction. They suppress it and suppress it. Warning to all of us. You suppress and you, you keep pushing back the Holy Spirit to convict you. You and I are in big trouble if we do that. That means you're just drifting away and you'll be more susceptible to the enemy attacking you and taking you out that said you would never do that in, a, in all your life. You would never do that. Oh, <laughs> by that statement alone, you're in trouble because you, you don't understand what your flesh is capable of doing. He says these are sensual people. In the context, it has nothing to do with sexual attractiveness he's talking about. It describes a person who lives only by and for what he or she can get through his physical senses. He lives this way selfishly. His motto, her motto is what? If it feels good, do it. How can it be wrong if it feels so right? It just feels so right and it's, it just makes me so happy. Watch out. Watch out. You're what we refer to in the scripture as a sensual person, just desiring to accommodate your fleshly desires. Woo! Watch out for us. Pray by God's mercy and grace. And not only will that, but it will cool, causes division. These certain men had an instinct to separate themselves and cause division among the people. We see in Matthew 5, 7, 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravishness wolves. They're just wolves. They're looking for a meal. And guess what? Your brunch. How about Acts 20, verse 29? For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. We know the word of God. We, that's why we keep our lives, our family protected, not allowing things to creep into your house, men. You're the shepherd of your house. 
Watch out for your wives. Watch out for your children. Watch out because they're creeping in through the phone, through TV, through books, through other people, associations, through school. There are many ways people are trying to get in after your family. And I'm talking about you too. How best to take down a leader and a whole family by taking out you? You know the scriptures, Proverbs when the enemy comes into the house, they don't go for your little five-year-old and take that five-year-old first. The weak. The enemy, when he comes breaking into your house, he's always going to go for the strongest, take out the strongest. It means everyone else is vulnerable. Protect yourselves. Stay in the word. Stay in fellowship. Stay focused on truth and living out your life. You have that decision to live for Christ. Please him in all the things you say and do. These men had not having the spirit. It's the same description could be written over many churches today. That church that does not have the spirit. Or church programs. That program is not spirit led. Those, those projects are not spiritually led. Evangelism campaigns are not spiritually led. Those home fellowships that they're starting up so they can have for people to come to, come to them, not spirit-led. Even the individual Christians' lives, they're not spirit-led. The church and the world truly need spiritually, spirit-driven men and women today. We must. Galatians 5.16 says, Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Everyone's like, Pastor, how can I solve my problem? A, B, C, D, A. I mean, 1 through 20. One thing. Be Spirit-filled. Live for Jesus. And all that sin stuff will just fade away. You'll have no desire for it. Galatians 5.25, if you live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If you're a believer and you're filled with the Spirit of God, you must walk it. Don't be just hearers of the Word. Be doers of the Word. Walk it. Your life in every aspect of your life, every area of your life, you must walk in the Spirit. If not, the enemy's coming after you. So here in closing, Jude gave us three examples of people in this, this, this letter who walked away from God's love. Cain walked away. Balaam walked away. Korah walked away. All because of selfishness. Shepherding themselves. And now Jude gives us three exhortations to keep ourselves in the love of God. But that we will have to do next week. <laughs>